When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jared Waitley. Here's a snapshot of Tuesday, November 21. David Mackay and Ashley Brown paid tribute to the late Ted Hopkins. Oh, massive affection because, uh, you know, uh, losing Brass and then now uh, Teddy Hopkins, uh, they were both instrumental in that 1970 victory and he was revered for uh, the, the part he, he played because when he came onto the ground, in fact, it was quite an interesting story because at uh, halftime, just as the players were running out, um, Brassy decided that, uh, without reference to the match committee, that he'd take Bert Thornley off and bring Teddy Hopkins on, and it was ended up being an inspired move because then Hopkins set us a light, a light in that uh, second half, uh, kicking four goals and um, really bringing the the game from uh, being very much in doubt from a Carlton perspective, 44 points down, uh, to bring us back into the game with those four goals was magnificent, and as a result of that, we certainly. Uh, Everybody uh, appreciates and, and loves Teddy Hopkins for uh, for his uh, his his uh, role in that game, and also uh, the way he was off the ground. He was a good friend to a lot of us as well. He is well, he adored. He's an iconic figure at Carlton for his role in that 1970 Grand Final. He's the classic small forward that you know Hawthorne drafted one last night. It just play, at the plays at the feet of the tall forwards, gets the ball and kicks a goal. He sparked Carlton with those four goals, and. Within a few minutes watching, I'm not, well, it didn't, wasn't at the game, I've seen the replay. Within a few minutes of the, that third quarter, he, he sparked Carlton. He was the difference maker. Something different. You know, poor old Bert Thornley gets dragged. Hopkins comes on, kicks those four goals. Hero of the game. Right, plays one game afterwards. One game in 1971 and disappears from football for probably 20 years, 25 years, to the stage where he would be recognised. Are you Ted Hopkins? No. Right. Didn't want, you know. Was into footy at all? He saw a bit of alternate lifestyle, that sort of thing, bit of a hippie, I think. And uh, and then he had the epiphany, and that is champion data, which now sort of governs so much of the game. It is. So he's thought had, had worked out, and I helped edit his book. If I know this, I have the book. I helped put together the book he wrote with Slattery Media in 2011. But he had the sort of the come to Jesus moment about stats could be in footy could be done better. I think, he, and had a mathematical analytical background. We used to get a green book from Ray Young once a week when I was back at the age, and they were your stats. You'd get them a couple of days after the game, and he realised this could all be done a hell of a lot better. So in the mid-90s, he started, how can stats be done better? So, And at, the internet was coming in, uh, online uh, data was becoming in, and so he, he tapped in at the perfect time to build the stats business, understood the data that clubs were after. That was a big part of champion data. There's the retail side of champion data that we see, there's the wholesale data that the club and the industry yes, get yeah. from them. And he foresaw all of this. So it's just a perfect storm. The internet, the game becoming full-time professionals, bigger coaching staffs. He rode that wave and created champion data. And then fantasy football, of course, grew out of that we all played. Mark McVeigh cautioned against the overreaction to a glut of academy draft picks in the northern markets. I think uh, what we're seeing is um, ebbs and flows of obviously the academies, you know, if, you know, if I had to look uh, deep into next year's draft from an academy point of view, especially in New South Wales or, or a Swans one, it's it's probably not as deep. 
Um, and I think this is just one of those years where it just all came together. Now, clearly, you know, you have to look at Phoenix Gothard, who goes at pick 12. Now, you know, before the Allies uh, campaign, he wouldn't have been in uh, probably in pick 40. He wouldn't have been any earlier than that. But he has an outstanding campaign, but he's supported by really good players and you get elevated and he goes at pick 12 to the Giants. Now, clearly, he's a needs player because, um, you know, it supports their game plan. He's really quick, really agile, gets up and down the ground. So I think, yeah, I, I would caution against it. I think there's, you know, why it's a fantastic year this year and all credit goes to all the people that are involved. Um, it's not going to be like this all the time. There's a lot of hard work to be done. And if you think about it, Caden Cleary started at 10 years old, would have played with, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of kids that have come through the academy. He pops out. He's the only one that gets drafted as an 18-year-old after of all those kids from 10 or 11 years of age. A lot of hard work and it's just one. So, you know, it's not... Um, for me, I would caution, absolutely, there's a lot of hard work still to be done. And number eight draft pick, Dan Curtin, on the sheer excitement of joining the AFL. Yeah, no, it's absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, absolutely stoked to be going to the Crows. How did you How did you sleep last night after all of it? Oh, yeah, slept well. It took me a while to get to sleep. I was a bit excited. Um, but, yeah, no, slept, slept very well and woke up a very happy person. So. Do you have a million messages? Yeah, yeah, got quite a few to get to, so I'll probably sort that all out at the airport on my way home. Um, been a been a big few months, I'm sure, for you, Dan. So last night, um, just in waiting for your name to get called and wondering where you were going to go. Um, what what was that like? Um, well, yeah, the whole time I was kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, just waiting for my name to get called out, and um, yeah, it finally happened. And um, yeah, definitely didn't. Well, I wasn't wasn't really knowing what to expect, but um, yeah, just really grateful for it to finally happen. Did you have a, a almost a checklist of clubs? Well, I wonder whether it'll be them or them or them. What sort of idea did you have? Yeah, well, I mean, um, once it got past a certain pick, we knew that it could literally be a list of um, five or six people, five or six clubs. So, um, yeah. Had you had much conversation with the Crows? Um, a little bit, a little bit. We knew um, they were definitely interested and, um, yeah, and then what what happened happened. So, does what does life in Adelaide do for you as an idea? Oh, no, sounds awesome. I've um, been over there a few times and absolutely loved it. So, yeah, really excited. Gideon Haig hailed the captaincy of Pat Cummins. Well, I always say this about captaincy: ninety percent of it is what we don't see. It's how the team is travelling, how the team is feeling about itself and each other. Uh, are they confident in one another? Are they coherent? Are they um, are they enthralled to the team plan? And a lot of that comes from the captain. A lot of that comes from his relationship with the coach and the and the, and the support staff. So just the way, the manner in which Australia tackled this World Cup was a testament to his captaincy. The ten percent, which is tactical decision making, well, uh, like I said, you uh, you have to make a lot of calls. Some you get right. If you if you if you're getting half right, you're doing well. Well, he got more than half right. He got them 100 percent right in that uh, in that final. And Gideon took a stab at the Indian reaction to World Cup defeats. I mean, the very fact that it was a World Cup with ten teams. I mean, that's ridiculous. It was India plus nine extras, nine cones for for India to uh, to, to run around. And the fact that there were no foreign spectators there at all in the final. You know, we kept going to these. Three blokes in their yellow jumpers. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to know how they got in. Uh, it was just so awfully obvious uh, what was what was going on. 
But afterwards, I think the reaction has to be, um, well, I'm hoping that it's, uh, isn't this wonderful, you know, how unexpected sport result could be. But I suspect there will be some recriminations uh, along the line. Uh, they kept flashing also on the commentary to the to the BCCI box, you know, full of potentates and celebrities and people leaping to their feet and uh, for choreographed applause like people, you know, at a speech of Stalin's. Uh, but, you know, and there is a certain amount of satisfaction to be derived from seeing people so disappointed. The, even the presentation, which I think I could watch that presentation over and over, is the Prime Minister has very little interest in handing the trophy mm. over to mm -hmm. Australia. Yeah. And then the, chore the choreography of it is... Pat Cummins is stuck with the two politicians yep. while the fireworks all the, fly. Yeah. So in the moment where the team is supposed to be there yep. and filling the air, no, no, we're going yeah. through this. Oh, and then they all had to shake their hand before they could join Pat yep. Cummins up on the stage, which I guess fits in with what you saw on day one at that same I think by, most, by that stage, most Indian punters had turned off there. <laughs> yes, yes. Plus Sarah Ollie's top five ahead of the AFLW Best and Fairest. All right. Well, if I was picking the award, Jared, in number five, I would have from the Sydney Swans, Laura Gardner, who's perhaps not one of the Swans that we've spoken about in terms of Chloe Malloy ad nauseum, but she's had a really solid season in the midfield and is part of the reason that they've really shot up the ladder this year. In fourth, I'll have a former Best and Fairest winner in Lion, Ali Anderson. In third, the Dancing Tiger, Mon Conti. In second, she was the inaugural rising star. That star continues to rise. It's Ebony Marinoff. And come on, everybody. <laughs> number one, it has to be Jasmine Garner. And that's just a snapshot. The full program and all interviews are available through the Waitley podcast. Subscribe at sen.com.au.